0: okay grab a bible and open it to matthew chapter 6 if you don't have a bible with you today that's okay you can either use your device your phone if you got one uh, you can just google matthew 6 and something will pop up or you can follow along with us on the screen this morning but as you open to matthew chapter 6 just giving you some context of where we are in our sermon studies today Uh, the sermon on the mount is the longest single chunk of teaching from jesus in the New Testament, we've talked about how it is the greatest sermon ever preached. Like certainly not any sermons that come from this pulpit or any other pulpit can even compare to this sermon that Jesus preached. It was something that he put together. He uh, he delivered to his followers and to a crowd that had gathered around him as he was ex- uh, exclaiming the kingdom of God, performing miracles. People were interested in what he had to say. And Jesus begins to teach on what is the kingdom of God. It's not a collection of disjointed wisdom or truisms. It's a cohesive sermon. It covers three chapters and it's all about what makes the kingdom of God different from the kingdoms of this world. What is a truly blessed life? I mean aren't we all after that? What is blessing? Don't we all want to be blessed especially by God? What is that life? What is the kingdom of God truly like and how do we get into the kingdom of God and then how do we live in the kingdom of God? It's all quite upside down and countercultural from the wisdom of our world, but the way of Jesus is an invitation to the best way to live. We are not stuck with the life we were born into. To follow the way of Jesus is to live the life we were created for, and there is a difference. So we saw in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, The key to the blessed life, right? All the blessings from the Beatitudes. We saw that the key ultimately to life in the kingdom of God is this key word righteousness. How do we get righteousness? In other words, perfection is what Jesus calls us to. We thank God that it's not a righteousness that's achieved, right? Because then we'd all be up a creek, but rather it's a righteousness received. It's not something we live for, it's something we live from, Right, But most people, even Christians, don't think of themselves as righteous. Even as a Christian, you can understand maybe in your mind that you have the righteousness of Jesus that you've received into your life. It makes you have right standing with God. That when God looks at you, He looks through the lens of Jesus. He sees you uh, being covered by the blood of Jesus. Your sins not counted against you. Like Maybe you understand that logically, but you don't think of yourself as a righteous person. And that's often because we know the truth about ourselves, Right? One philosopher said this, he said, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. (laughs) Maybe you feel that today. But this illustrates Jesus' point in Matthew chapter 5, which we studied last week, that the righteousness needed to live in God's kingdom is more than skin deep. And remember Jesus gave us the six examples of how when it comes to sin, true righteousness is is a whole lot more than just behavior modification, but that we need a righteousness from the outside to come into us and then transform us from the inside out. This is what Jesus is talking about. Our righteousness, which can only be received through faith in Jesus Christ, holistically changes how we live in this world. That while we exist in this world, we live in the kingdom of heaven. It supersedes the ways of this world. It's often different. And now in chapter six, Jesus is doubling down on the exact same point that we need a greater righteousness. But instead of only looking inward and deeper at the things we think make us bad, which is what chapter five was about, now Jesus leads us also to look inward and deeper at the things which we think make us good that not only do our acts of sin require an autopsy at the heart level but even our acts of righteousness need to be examined if we are to be truly righteous so look with me matthew chapter 6 and i just want to read first of all verse 1 which is going to be jesus's main point which will go clear through verse 21 we're not going to read all that w- much today, but this verse one is kind of the, the main point of chapter six. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. If you got your Bible open, look back at the end of, verse, of chapter five and verse 48. Do you remember what he said in verse 48 of chapter 5? be perfect be perfect and then he follows that up immediately with but be careful because leave it to a human heart to find a way to make righteousness sinful you ever been a part of someone who kind of looks like they're doing all the right things but really has gotten it all wrong maybe you've felt that way before that what seemed to be true of you on the outside was not true on the inside and you knew it maybe nobody else did jesus says god knows god sees be careful not to practice your righteousness in in front of others for them to see because then you'll have no reward with god be perfect to be careful Well, verse 2 through 18, Jesus is going to give three more examples, just like he did in chapter 5. He gave six examples of what we do bad. He's going to give three examples in chapter 6 of what we do good that might make us think we're living righteously, but he's going to show us how each one of these examples can actually be done unrighteously, followed then by what true righteousness looks like. He's going to talk about, as we'll talk about today, giving to the poor. Then he's going to talk about prayer and then he's going to talk about fasting so three things that might make someone think you are righteous which actually can be done unrighteously and so there's a heart check coming so today we're going to tackle the first one true righteousness in the kingdom of god when it comes to giving this is the point where someone in the room probably is thinking to themselves here we go anytime the word giving is used from a pulpit it's like okay now we got to talk about this this is, all, this is all church care about, right? is, is how much are you giving? What are you giving? It's, it's, everything's about giving. But I just want to diffuse that bomb really quickly, okay? If that's you. Number one, the passage we're going to study today has nothing to do with giving to the church. Okay? So just like exhale. <sighs> You're not going to get the pitch, okay, today. This is not that day. But uh, I will say this, that whether we're talking about generosity inside the church or generosity outside the church... It's all driven by the same biblical principles. Uh, And there are really four kind of key biblical principles that I want to show you today that lead us to a life of generosity. I'm just gonna cover these quickly and then we're gonna get into our text, okay? Because it's important. And this is why we don't shy away from talking about giving as God leads us in our study of the Bible. When it comes up in the scripture, we talk about it, right? So first principle is this, that God owns it all. We give, we're generous because God owns everything. Psalm 24 says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. If God owns everything, then that totally changes how we approach anything, especially generosity. I love what Donald Whitney says. He, he wrote a great little book on prayer that I read when I was away on sabbatical. And uh, he says this about actually giving. He says, the question isn't how much of my money should I give God? But how much of God's money should I keep for myself? That really is a perspective change, isn't it? When you realize God owns it all. Second thing is this, that God is a giver. I mean, he can call us to this because he is this. The great example that I can think of is is John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a verse that might be familiar to you, where it says, God loved the world in this way, that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The key verb there is He gave. God is a giver. So this is one of the reasons why then we give. Third is that, kind of an extrapolation of that, God calls us to give. He asks us to. In fact, He commands us to. He calls us to give. Both generously and sacrificially. And there's a couple of verses I just wanna point out to you. One's in Second Corinthians, if you're writing notes, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven, which says, God loves a cheerful giver. Just about how God responds when we give with gratitude and cheerfulness that this is something that like stirs up joy in God. God loves a cheerful giver. He's called us to this, to be generous, but also to be giving sacrificially, he calls us to. Jesus tells a story about a widow in Mark chapter 12 who came to the temple treasury with two tiny coins, like just the smallest of coins in the, in the whole currency uh, in the, that day and age. And she comes to the temple and she drops her two coins in the treasury. And he says it as he notices and, t- and points his disciples to it to contrast with all the rich, wealthy people who were coming and they were jingling their coins in their sacks and jumping big, large sums of coins into the treasury. And he says that they gave out of their surplus, but she gave all she had to live on. And he points that out, that God calls us to give sacrificially from all that we are to him. So God calls us to it, but then also just God made us to give. You can't miss out on this, that God made us to give because we are made in his image. Genesis describes the story of creation, that God made man in his image. That means that that we are designed to reflect him, that the best version of ourselves is the one that looks most like him. So generosity acts like a chisel uh, that just slowly refashions us into the person God created us to be. And so you can see why giving is a part of Jesus' sermon here. That it's actually something that invites us into the life we were created for. But there still leaves the question, if we're talking about giving just in general principles, and I just want to cover this briefly, you might ask the question, well then how much? (laughs) You know, I mean, it is all God's, and how much of my money should I keep, uh, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? I'm thinking about it differently, but how much is that? Well, there's two basic kinds of giving in the Bible. Uh, There's tithes and offerings. Okay, the tithe simply means tenth. And so uh, that's about giving 10% of our income to God through the local church. Anything above that 10% is what we call an offering, uh, which is where we give to special projects or ministries or missions or things outside of our church or people who are in need, uh, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, giving to the poor. So... Let's dig in to what Jesus has to say about true righteousness in relationship to giving to the poor. Look with me at verse two. Jesus says, so whenever you give to the poor, can we just stop right there for a second? Whenever you give to the poor, let me just give you a little context. Giving in first century judaism which jesus is speaking into was assumed there was no like having to be inspired to give which is our culture today is like people are just hanging on close-fisted until someone comes along and inspires them enough to maybe open their hand a little bit and give some like that's the general idea in our culture today is we have to be inspired in jesus's day giving was just ingrained it was part of who they were It, it It had centuries of history from being commanded in the Jewish scriptures and just being followed. And it made sense that the people would do this because there were relationships they knew that had people in need. There were no government aid programs. They lived in a subsistence economy, which meant that they were just trying to survive day to day. All of their work was about generating just enough for that day. And so poverty was no respecter of persons in the first century. I mean, just about anybody could find themselves in a place of need. And so for years, centuries even, commanded by the scriptures, the Jewish people would weekly, if not daily, provide out of their income money for others through the temple treasury or collection to then be distributed it could happen at the temple it could happen at local synagogues but generally there was a point of collection and a point of distribution and people would be giving to it on a regular basis because honestly it was commanded but then secondly they never knew when they might be the ones who needed something from it and so this is kind of the context uh, of what's happening here and they call this almsgiving almsgiving not thanksgiving right that's totally different right? this is almsgiving uh, there wasn't necessarily a meal involved. It was just a regular piece of their daily life. It's something they did. But believe it or not, people found a way to take this godly thing, which was meant purely for the benefit of others, and to twist it into something that benefited themselves. Isn't that amazing? Should, probably shouldn't be shocking to us because we do that kind of thing all the time. So Jesus Gives us how giving goes wrong. What does it look like when giving is done wrong? So let's finish verse 2. He says, Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. Did you know Jesus coined the phrase, don't toot your own horn? (laughs) That was interesting to me. I I played trumpet actually in junior high. Uh, And uh, in junior high, I... I got I was second chair like I wasn't that good there was a guy who was really good ahead of me uh, but I was good enough to be second chair in trumpet I dropped it after eighth grade uh, but uh, in junior high I was good enough to, to want to join a jazz uh, ensemble and I remember asking my parents uh, for a piece of equipment that I needed uh, for the jazz ensemble if you listen to jazz music you can probably hear trumpets that sound like this but there's a piece of equipment called a mute uh, that actually plugs the bell of your trumpet and kind of changes the sound and I mean, go figure. My parents actually jumped at the chance to buy me a mute for my trumpet. Uh, I think they were just kind of tired of the loud. This is trumpets are designed to get attention, right? I mean, they're about making announcements. They're like they're out there. They're in your face, okay? And Jesus is using this word picture uh, to describe these people who are calling attention to themselves with the act of giving to be noticed by others. He's describing the links that people would be go would go to be noticed and to be regarded as benevolent. Jesus said these people are hypocrites. You ever been called a hypocrite? Uh, probably rightly so. <laughs> I think the church would do a lot better if we could all just admit that, yeah, we're, we're hypocrites and we're being transformed, okay? So like that's just where we are and Jesus is working on us, okay? But Jesus calls these people out and he says this is what the hypocrites do. Now that word hypocrite uh, in that day would literally mean actor like someone who plays the part of righteousness but actually is unrighteous in fact playing the part of righteousness is unrighteousness now most of us would expect being called out as a hypocrite to come along with punishment but Jesus' sermon is putting together a bigger picture here right the sermon on the mount it's about life in the kingdom of God Uh, it's about living a good life Uh, A life, a good life under the rule and reign of a good God uh, who partners with us in his kingdom work. I mean, this is a really good thing. And so instead of Jesus describing a hypocrite's punishment, he describes their reward. But it's a stark contrast with the reward for true righteousness. Jesus says, truly I tell you, they have their reward. These people who play the part of righteousness, they're doing it for show, they're getting regard uh, from people, the applause of men rather than the applause of God. He says they have their reward. Well, what is their reward? It's just to be noticed. That's it. In fact, the language Jesus uses here, the word for reward Jesus uses is the language of a completed Transaction. A completed transaction. So say you're a store keep and I come into your store and I have a dollar bill and I'm looking for a candy bar, preferably a Reese's. So if you have a Reese's, I'm gonna hand you a dollar bill, you're gonna hand me a Reese's and a receipt. Deal over. You got my dollar. I got my Reese's. It's gone. I mean if I eat it, it's gone. It's a done deal. There's no more coming from where that came from. Unless I can somehow produce, but then even then the reward is equal to what I'm able to give, right? This is what Jesus is saying. The transaction for the hypocrite who draws attention to himself when it comes to giving, which is a godly thing, but then they twist it, something that's meant to benefit others, twist it into something that benefits themselves. He's saying they have their reward. They are paid in full, These hypocrites, they toot their own horn, right? They are playing the part of the righteous, putting on a show in order to receive the applause of men, and they get it. But that's it. That's all they get. Kent Hughes says this, The truth is, they were not giving to the poor, but buying the applause of men, and they got what they paid for. That's what happens. When something that God intends to be the, purely for the benefit of others, out of his goodness and love, and that's a righteous act, when we twist it and it becomes about our benefit, not only are we called unrighteous, but then we've already received our reward. But there's a better way, a counterintuitive way to the ways of this world, but there is a true righteousness that yields an eternal reward. Look with me at verse three and four where Jesus describes giving done righteously. Verse three, but when you give to the poor, again assumed, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will rewards you the key to truly righteous generosity is secrecy secrecy and jesus uses an extreme analogy this one about your left hand and your right hand to emphasize his point but don't forget jesus isn't talking about the actions or the logistics of giving this section of the sermon jesus is calling us remember to look inward and deeper Because true righteousness is not simply a matter of mechanics, right? But it's a matter of motive. In fact, that reminded me of an analogy, maybe a helpful analogy, the analogy of a train. Picture a train in your mind, like maybe the one that drives, goes right down parallel to Highway 80, with the big engine on the front, carrying lots of cars behind it. Think about that train. The act of generosity is locomotion right chugga 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 that's the locomotion that's the act of generosity the power source is locomotive that's the power source of generosity without the power source it can look like a train but it won't be doing what it was created to do we don't give in order to achieve righteousness but true righteousness was received from jesus and then it's lived out for recognition from God alone. We do it from the righteousness given to us by Jesus. He is our motive and he is our only audience and his reward is better than any other reward. Now remember our widow from Mark chapter 12 that we mentioned earlier? It's just a unique piece of this story that I wanna draw out. Uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus does point out this widow who gives her two tiny coins, and he contrasts her with the people who apparently are wealthy, who give out of their surplus, but don't really make a sacrifice. But then she gives all she had to live on. This is coming on the heels of earlier in Mark when Jesus says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And then the widow becomes an example of loving God with all. She gives her all. But when she gave it, she had no idea that Jesus was sitting across the way, the son of God in the very room where she was and he had his eyes on her. In fact, he knew she was coming and when she was coming, he called his disciples over. Go back to Mark 12 and look at it. He calls his disciples over and he says, I want you to pay attention to this widow. And he uses her as an example, but isn't it interesting that when she gave sacrificially, Jesus saw. This is the thread that runs through the first four verses of chapter six of Matthew. God sees, God sees. In the same way that God sees hypocrisy, God sees true righteousness in the act of quiet generosity. And it's the true righteousness, not the act of giving that God rewards. You know, all kinds of people were giving, It's the righteousness that God rewards. This leaves us with one last question. What is the reward? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. With what? Now, there are preachers in arenas and on television screens who will tell you that the reward from God when you give generously will be in like kind, that your bills will be paid, uh, that your savings account will grow, that whatever it is uh, will happen, that if you contribute to their mission or their cause that god will bless you financially but this is not a biblical promise in fact the sermon on the mount in its totality is quite reverse from that sentiment will god provide for you absolutely in every way he will provide for you as you give sacrificially but if their message was true that if you give money you get money if that was true your destiny would be in your own hands and your reward would only be equal to what you could muster up to give, which in comparison to what God can give is pitiful, pitiful. Instead, as we've already seen in the Beatitudes in chapter five, verse one through 16, the truly blessed life in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with money. It even goes as far as to say that righteousness may make your life more difficult, not less difficult. But the righteous person will be given a reward far greater than their personal investment. A reward that's on the level of God's ability to give, not ours. Do you remember the reward that bookends the Beatitudes, starting in verse three? And then finally at the end of the Beatitudes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a reward to be noted. The truly righteous person, their reward, literally, to be partners in the kingdom of heaven. God is giving himself, all he is and all he owns, all he's over to people who will receive the righteousness of Jesus from the outside in and let it transform them from the inside out not just the things we think were bad make us bad but also the things we think make us good if we can come at it from the motive of righteousness and live it out in a way that's truly righteous we'll receive a reward that is far beyond what we could ever muster up to give the kingdom of heaven and all that it is and all that it comes with including the one who is over it all he gives us himself in fact he already perfectly modeled this for us did he not when he gave us his very self in the form of his son jesus christ let me read john 3:16 one more time for you for god loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, faith in Jesus is the locomotive, right? The power source that pulls our train of living right side up in an upside down world. So the question is today, do you have the right power source? Because if you're yearning and striving and pushing to achieve righteousness, you will always fall short. In fact, Jesus goes as far as to say, you are unrighteous. But if you'll receive Jesus and live from his righteousness, a life that is holistically changed, as you follow him, you'll be truly righteous. And you'll give freely and generously out of your abundance or out of your lack. It doesn't matter. Just be a person of generosity, which is who God is to us in giving us Jesus Christ. I hope God's stirring something in you. For those who maybe need to put faith in Jesus Christ, I hope he's stirring in you the desire to come to him in faith, to let him transform your life from the inside out. For those of you who've already come to him in faith, I hope he's stirring in you what true righteousness looks like and what your life can be like, the life you were created for, how you can be chiseled and refashioned into the person God made you to be and experience the fullness of life in the way he designed you to live it. And in this case, through generosity. How could you be generous? I don't wanna answer that question for you. I'll let God answer that question for you. But I want you to be asking. I wanna lead us in prayer. We're gonna have a brief song of response today. My prayer is that God stirs this in you and just puts it deep in you where you cannot leave here unchanged. Let's pray. God, you are a generous God. To give us your son, your very self, is almost too much to grasp. That, Lord, you became the sacrifice for our sin. God, you took our unrighteousness on yourself so that you could give us your righteousness. Man, that's a truth that ought to transform us. So God, give us the ability to lay down ourselves, to submit, to yield, to put faith in Jesus, to let his righteousness consume us that we might live from his righteousness alone and experience what it means to really flourish and be a partner with you in your kingdom. And that God, through our generosity that is in the way that you want us to be generous, we would see the world in front of our eyes be transformed because your kingdom is coming. It is here on earth and is coming in its fullness through Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll help us to see even more of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.